Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to everyone. I am one of those Georgia Tech fans that needs a whole lot of encouragement and consolation here today. As Pastor Jeremy said, I'm Pastor Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor here at Mount Perrin North, our Marietta and Canton campus. I'm always pleased to be able to come to the Canton campus and share with you great folks. If you happen to have a Bible or a Bible app, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you don't happen to have a Bible or Bible app, that's okay. All the scriptures we're going to be looking at will be on the screens. And as Pastor Jeremy also said, we're going to talk to you this morning about what I call the Christmas paradox. In Luke 2, we'll begin in looking at verse 25. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time as we open up our hearts to his word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity here today, the opportunity you afford us to come and be in your presence to learn of you, to engage you, to know you. And I pray for those in this room here today, Father, that may know you the least, all the way to those that know you the most, and everywhere in between, that for all of us now, if we haven't already through the worship time, would take a step forward in better understanding who you are and what you've done for us and in us through Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you to enable me to share this the way you want it shared, that it be for your praise and glory now, in Jesus' name. Amen. When my wife Udella and I were living in Orlando, Florida, pastoring, it was Christmas time. Our son, Justin, was then probably three, no more than four years old. And my in-laws wanted to come and be with us, to spend some time with us, and to have some grandparenting time with Justin. I don't believe at that time our daughter Ashton had been born. So they wanted to take Justin to the mall. Now, the Sunday prior to this, in Justin's Sunday school class, all the kids had memorized the verse, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which simply says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. They had learned that. So my in-laws take my son Justin to the mall, and Justin was right at that age where he was beginning to connect all the dots of what Christmas was. The birth of Jesus, the giving of gifts, the receiving of toys, all of that was just beginning to come together for him. So there they are at the mall, and then the excitement of what Christmas was began to just well up in Justin. And he began to see the lights and hear the music and he saw the decorations, saw all the amazing toys, and he couldn't contain it any longer. And right there in the middle of the mall with all the people surrounding him, he yells in a loud voice, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now everybody's looking, my in-laws are just like, what in the world? And then he doesn't stop, however. He says it again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now everybody thinks, well, this is cute, you know. And my in-laws are thinking, oh, our grandson, he knows the scriptures. I mean, it's a, real, it's a Kodak moment for them right then. But the kid doesn't stop. He keeps yelling it and gets more animated. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now he's getting annoying. And people are starting to try to avoid him. My in-laws are getting embarrassed because he keeps yelling it out. So they say, okay, son, it's, it's probably time to go. They start heading out the mall. And all the way out the mall towards the parking lot, everybody he sees, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Into the parking lot, everybody. Believe on the Lord. The kid didn't shut up till they got him in the car halfway home. I don't know where he got that from. Had to be his mom. Because just a couple of years ago, how many remember the white Christmas we had a couple of years ago? First one in, what, 100 years here in Atlanta. My, my family loves Christmas, and we love snow. You put those two together, man, it's a party waiting to happen. And all Christmas Day, we step out on the porch, watch it snow. 
Go in, have some Christmas. Go back out, watch it snow. Go in, have some Christmas. So towards the end of the day, we're standing out on the front porch. It's my two grown children, my wife, my daughter-in-law, me. We're just watching it snow. And then my wife, who, if anybody knows her, she's a pretty subdued lady. She doesn't express her emotions in public very much. She kind of keeps to herself. In the loudest voice I've ever heard this woman project... She says, this is the best Christmas ever <laughs> to the entire neighborhood. I thought, who are you and what have you done with my wife? What did my son and my wife have in common? That they experienced such an incredible moment, such a marvelous, magical moment, they couldn't contain it anymore. They had to express the excitement. They had to celebrate. They had to celebrate the joy that they were feeling. And if Christmas is anything, it's all about celebration. We celebrate at this time of the year. Now what's interesting though, if you go back to the original event of what we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, before his birth, at his birth, and even after his birth, You've got several people that break out in spontaneous celebratory song. For instance, we have Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus Christ was born. And John the Baptist would be the one to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, when John the Baptist is born, Zechariah breaks out in this spontaneous celebratory song, thanking God for blessing him with a son that was going to be the voice before Jesus Christ. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she finds out she's going to be pregnant with the Christ child, the angel tells her. He breaks, she breaks forth in what we often refer to as the Magnificat. It's her celebrating in song spontaneously, thanking God for blessing her with such a blessing to be the mother of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we know on the day that he was born, the very popular scripture that we hear all the time, the angels appear in the sky to the shepherds and say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Even heaven breaks out in spontaneous celebration over the birth of of Jesus Christ. But then even after Christ is born, there's a man by the name of Simeon that I want us to look at this morning. And he's not well known in the scriptures. In fact, the only place we know of Simeon is in the story I'm about to share with you. But Simeon, when he holds Jesus, the little baby, he breaks out in this celebration of song. But in his celebration, there's something unusual that happens that doesn't seem to happen in all the other ones we know about. And that's what I want to focus on in what I call the Christmas paradox. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, we begin to see this story unfold of Simeon and Jesus Christ. This is how Luke records this. He said, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation there, it means encouragement, comfort, it means strength. He's looking for the encouragement and the strength and the comfort of Israel. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he gets this promise from the Holy Spirit. He's going to remain alive until he physically sees the Messiah, the Christ child. Verse 27, 
moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts there in Jerusalem. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, so that's Mary and Joseph, bringing Jesus into the temple courts to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, now before we look at what his celebration was, let's get the picture here. Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus into the temple there in Jerusalem to uh, um, adhere to the custom of the Hebrew law, which was two things. One, they were to dedicate Jesus, set him apart to the Lord, which every they did with every male child that was born. And then secondly, the mother would have to come in to the temple to do the purifying uh, uh, sacrifices after giving birth. And if you gave birth to a male child, you had to come in and do that purifying um, sacrifice by, by 41 days after the child is born. So we know that Jesus is at least 41 days old now. And there they are in the temple courts. There'd be a lot of people in the temple courts. And we have no idea that Simeon really knows Mary or Joseph. There's no indication they know one another. So simply it seems, by the Holy Spirit leading Simeon, he realizes this is the Christ child that is in Mary's arms. He takes the baby in his arms, and when he does so, here's the celebration, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your service, servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is celebrating the great pleasure of holding this child and that God has kept his promise to him that he would see this promised Messiah before his death. And he is celebrating the fulfilled promise, not just for him, but this would be the consolation of Israel. This Christ child, this savior of all humanity, would bring the strength and the comfort and the uh, uh, encouragement to Israel that was needed. So he's celebrating about the fulfillment of this promise. I want you to think right now of a promise somebody made to you, very special to you, that was fulfilled. Do you remember that moment? When that promise was fulfilled, you remember what you felt inside, and maybe you broke out in spontaneous celebration. Our granddaughter turned three yesterday. Kennedy turned three yesterday. We had her birthday party on Friday, and she told Mimi and Papa, which is my wife and me, the only thing she wanted from us on her birthday was the blue doggy guitar from Target. That's what she wanted. And anytime we asked her, that's what she would say, I want the blue doggy guitar from Target. She'd always say from Target as if we didn't know where Target was. And we would play with her. We said, okay, you want the yellow giraffe trombone from Walmart? No, the blue doggy guitar from Target. And that's the way she would say all the time. Well, we got her the blue doggy guitar from Target. At the birthday party, first gift she opens. When it comes out of the bag, you know what my granddaughter did? Jumped up and down. That's just what I wanted. That's just what I wanted. Isn't that what you're looking for in your kids on Christmas Day? This spontaneous celebration of a promise fulfilled. There's no greater joy when that happens in your life. And Simeon has this spontaneous celebration of the pleasure of that promise. But then something unusual takes place. In the very next verse, or skipping one verse, looking at verse 34, look what happens next. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, meaning some will accept him, some will reject him. 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, meaning some will actually rise up against him. Verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now look what he says. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. I mean, here he is in this amazing pleasure of celebration for this fulfilled promise. And then in the next moment, he's pronouncing a blessing, if you can call it a blessing, of pain that's going to come into Mary's life because of the suffering she's going to have to watch her baby go through when he becomes a man. I mean, what an amazing paradox here. In this celebratory moment, there is both pleasure and pain in one given moment, surrounded around the same person, Jesus Christ. And to me, that's the paradox of Christmas. The Christmas paradox is simply this for all of us. Celebration is often mixed with pleasure and pain. In fact, one of the reasons we love Christmas so much is because it's supposed to be this joyous, happy, wonderful, hopeful time, which it is and it can be. But many of us know when we come into the holiday season like now, in whatever kind of celebration we might enjoy, we also know there is pain here. Some of us have lost loved ones at this time of year. And in the midst of this pleasure of celebration, we know the pain of not having that loved one with us. Some of us are dealing with sick loved ones right now. I know in my own family, I have aging parents. My wife has aging parents. We have sick loved ones, and we know the pain of watching them hurt in their sickness and coming into this time of year. Some of you may be dealing with financial issues, and this year Christmas can't be like it used to be. Some of us may not even have any jobs. Some of us may be dealing with some family stuff, and we come into this time of year that's supposed to be this joyous, happy time, and we want to connect to that, but we know the reality of the pain in which we live. And the paradox is in this celebration, there is both pain and pleasure. And it's not just what happens at Christmas. It's a daily paradox. Because as long as you and I live in this fallen world, where suffering and sickness and pain and sorrow are real, there's always going to be that pain mixed with whatever kind of pleasure of celebration that we can have in our lives. So how do we deal with this paradox? Two observations I want to make about this paradox of the pleasure and pain that can be mixed in celebration. The first observation I make is this, that the pleasure of celebration is possible even in pain because of Christ. I can have the pleasure in my life and of celebration, even whatever pain I'm going through, because of Jesus Christ. I mean, Simeon, when he's holding this baby, and he has this celebration of pleasure, I think it's because of Christ holding and knowing what Christ is and the promise of Christ that he's able to make this blessing on Mary, even though it's going to talk about the pain and suffering she's going to have to deal with. He's able to do that and do it with confidence and do it with hope because of Jesus Christ that he's holding in his hand. The pain is going to be worth it because of ultimately what Jesus Christ is going to do. And I can have pleasure in, in celebration because of Christ, even though 
there may be pain in my life. Every one of us that have come in here today, we had great celebration a moment ago in the worship and what we were singing and declaring who Jesus is. And we had great pleasure there. Yet all of us today, even in that pleasure, we've got pain. There's not a person in here that's not touched by some type of sorrow or some type of hurt or some type of pain right now. Yet we were still able to have celebration because of Jesus Christ. You know, Two of the great experiences I've ever had in my life was watching my two children born, having the delivery, and being there and seeing that. Man, there is no greater joyous, pleasurable, exciting moment than to have your, watch your two children being born. And Udella and I, man, holding those kids after they were born, man, the, the joy of that, the pleasure of that. But if you've ever seen a baby born, there is nothing pretty about it. I mean, that delivery room looks like a war zone. Blood everywhere, and the baby's got blood on it, and all kind of gunk, and it looks like a lizard, and you know, I mean, it's like, you know, you love it because it's yours, but you're like, my gosh, I hope that looks better than that before that's all over. Your wife is covered in sweat, and she's been screaming, and, you know, the dad, there's no pain for the dad. The only time there's any pain for the dad is if he ever says to his wife, that really didn't hurt, did it? That's the only time there's any pain for the husband. But man, delivering a baby, that is, there is excruciating pain and mayhem with that. But why can't you have the pleasure? Because the baby's worth it. The baby is worth all the mayhem and the pain that goes into it. Jesus Christ is worth it. I mean, yes, pain is real. Suffering is real. Sorrow is real. Hurt is real. It's all real. But I have great news for you today. The deliverance and the healing and the comfort and the strength and the forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ is more real. In fact, here's even a greater paradox to the paradox. And that is that the pain and suffering that Jesus would have to go through that would bring grief to Mary would be the very thing that would bring healing to Mary. The pain and suffering that would pierce her soul of her son Jesus would be the very thing that would heal her soul as well. It's because of the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the sacrifice of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that He went through that you and I can stand in our pain and know we're going to have healing and know we're going to have comfort and know we're going to have help. It's because of His pain I have peace. It's because of His hurt I have healing. It's because of His suffering that I have strength. Because of Him... I can have pleasure even in pain. The second observation is very much like this, but goes a step further. Second one is this. The pleasure of celebration becomes reality the more we focus on Jesus Christ. In other words, I can have the pleasure in celebration because of Christ, but that becomes more of a reality to me the more I am focused on Christ. I mean, look what Mary and Joseph do when Simeon has this celebration moment telling who Jesus is. Look what Mary and Joseph do. Look at verse 33 with me in Luke 2. 
It says the child's father and, mar- and mother marveled at what was said about him. They're marveling at the words of Simeon that are being said about their baby Jesus. Marveling means they're astonished, they're in awe, they're, they're overwhelmed by the words they're saying, he's saying about Jesus. What did he say about Jesus? Verse 30 and 32 again. As he's singing to the Lord, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. He said, This is the salvation promised to all mankind, for the Gentiles and for the people of Israel. He is their salvation. Now the next thing is they marvel at those words and then he pronounces the pain that's going to be upon them because of the suffering that Jesus is going to be able to, that Jesus is going to go through. I believe they're able to deal with the, 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 the promised future suffering of Jesus because of the words Simeon said prior to this, that he is the salvation for all humanity. So they've got to be thinking, if he's going to be the salvation of all humanity, then whatever kind of pain and suffering he's going to go through has to be temporary, not permanent, and somehow, some way, he has to overcome. I don't believe they know anything about the cross. I don't believe they know what actually all is going to have to happen. They're just hearing what God is saying through this man. And it's by the words of the promise about Jesus that they're able to get a hold of in order to see them through the pain they're going to have to deal with by seeing what he goes through. But these weren't the first words they had heard about Jesus Christ. These weren't the first promises. We go all the way back to when Mary was first confronted by the angel, telling her that she was going to be pregnant with the Christ child. This is what the angel said to her in Luke 1, verses 31 and 33. The angel says, you will be with child. Give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary has these words that the angel spoke to her from nine months and at least 41 days ago and that he would be an eternal king. He would reign forever. His kingdom would be forever. So she's got to be thinking whatever pain and suffering he's going through is going to have to be temporary. Somehow he overcomes. Joseph would have similar words. Matthew tells us when Joseph was contemplating divorcing Mary because Mary ended up pregnant while they were in the engagement period, he, know, he knew he hadn't slept with her. So that meant he slept with some, she slept with somebody else and got pregnant. He's not buying that God got her pregnant. And he's thinking of divorcing her that night. An angel shows up. Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. Look what the angel of the story says. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel's confirming Mary's story. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, which means salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. So here Joseph has these words, that this is going to be the Savior of all humanity. So whatever pain and suffering is coming into his life, he's got to overcome somehow. And then the day that Jesus is born. And the angel appears to the shepherds out in the shepherd field. Says this to them in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Then the angels go to see this Christ child in the manger there in Bethlehem. And in verse 17, it says, when they had seen him, the shepherds had seen Jesus. 
they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. So obviously the shepherds had told her and Joseph what the angels had told them. This was the Christ child. This was Lord of all. So they have what the angels told them. They have what the shepherds have told them. They have what Simeon has told them. And they're pondering this in their hearts. And the way they're going to get through the pain and the suffering that's going to come into their lives is by holding to the promises of who this Jesus Christ is. Can I say to you, that is the same thing for you and I. The way we walk through the suffering and the pain and the sorrow this world can bring is we hold to the promises of who this Jesus Christ is. That is why it is so important that we expose ourselves to the Word of God. And we are unapologetic at the Canton campus or the Marietta campus about encouraging you to know this Word, about encouraging you to be in life groups where you learn the Word together, about encouraging you to be in church as often as possible to hear this Word. We live in a very suffering, painful world, and the only way to overcome it, the only way to stand fast is to know the promises of the person and the power and the presence of the living God that is ours in Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what Mary and Joseph got a hold of. Listen, becoming a follower of Christ is not going to exempt me from problems or pain or suffering, but it will give me a new perspective and a new way to deal with and approach Him. I have a place of hope and peace with whatever problem comes into my life because of the promises of who Jesus Christ is. And the more I focus on Him, the more the reality of the pleasure of who He is comes into my life, even in the pain. See, the deal is, what Mary and Joseph had to do, they had to make the situation that they were going to have to face about Christ and less about them and the pain they were going through. My brother was killed 1980, November 29th, two days after Thanksgiving. It's been 34 years that we recognized that date just, what, eight, nine days ago, whenever November the 29th was, this past November. That Thanksgiving, we had had a family reunion on my mom's side of the family. About 30-plus folks. It's awesome. We had a ball. We sang. We celebrated. We laughed. My brother, who was 24 at the time, I was 21, he was kind of the center of the party because he was the one that really could play the piano better than anybody else and play it by ear, so he led all the songs, and we just had a great time together. Tremendous pleasure. Two days later, tremendous pain. Killed in a head-on collision. He and his wife headed to their first home to move into their first house together. Pleasure to pain in two days. December the 2nd was his funeral of that year, and we went to the graveside, and I don't know, there probably were a couple of hundred people that came to the graveside with us. It was an amazing display to us as a family of the love and the compassion and the care of this church, and it'll be something I will be eternally indebted to because of that outpouring towards us. And the minister who was leading the graveside service finished the service, just as he was finished, my mother sitting beside my dad and I was sitting 
on the left-hand side of my dad. She leaned over to my dad and she said, Paul, I want to sing. He said, you want to sing? She said, yes, I want to sing. He said, what do you want to sing? She said, I want to sing God is so good. He said, you want to sing God is so good? I mean, their firstborn is three feet in front of them, laying in a casket dead, only 24 years old. She said, he said, you want to sing God is so good? She said, yes, Paul, lead us in God is so good. So my dad, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. People began to hear that and start singing. He went into the second verse. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. He's so good to me. Now everybody's about singing at this point. And then he breaks into, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his whole. Lee, name. Now everybody's singing. And here's the next part. For he has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. How in the world can a mom and a dad lead hundreds of people in singing such a celebration song about the goodness of God when their firstborn 24-year-old son is laying dead in a casket. I'll tell you why. Because my mom was not going to make my brother's death about the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the loss of death. She was going to make it about the joy and the power and the strength and the promise of Jesus Christ. We weren't saying God is so good because my brother was laying dead. We were saying God is so good because Jesus Christ had conquered death, hell, and the grave. And even though my brother lay in a casket, he wasn't dead. He was walking hand in hand with his Lord and Maker. And that's where he is right now. You can't celebrate Christmas without Easter. There's no Easter, there's no Christmas. Who cares he was born if he's dead? Big deal. He's not dead. He's alive. He didn't go into everlasting life to provide us everlasting life easily. He knows our pain. Paradox is when I make it about Him, His promise, who He is, therein lies the healing and the overcoming strength of whatever pain, suffering I'm walking through. I'm going to invite those that will be serving communion to take their places quickly, please. I can't think of a better time to take communion than right now in, in, in the context of what we've been talking about because communion, communion is an, a symbol of, of the pain and the pleasure of Christ. The elements represent that. 
the juice you're about to partake of represents the blood of Jesus, the pain of Him shedding the blood on the cross. The wafer represents the beaten, battered, busted body of Jesus Christ that was whipped beyond being able to even tell it was a body. Ribbons of, 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 of skin would have been hanging from Him. Face swollen, head swollen because of being beaten wafer that we're about to eat represents that busted body, the pain of that, so that you and I could know the pleasure of the forgiveness of sins, the pleasure of a relationship with God. Even in the midst of pain, it's the most beautiful, paradoxical, ironic story there is. And no other religion talks of a God who He Himself would come as one of us to partake of all the pain and suffering you and I did and go to a cross to take the ultimate pain and suffering for you and I so that you and I could have a relationship with God again. He paid the penalty of the pain of our sin so you and I can know the peace, peace of a relationship with Him. When we partake of these elements here in a moment, we're simply saying, I identify with who this Jesus is because He identifies with me. I thank Him for the pain and the suffering and I thank Him for the pleasure of the forgiveness of sins and an eternal relationship with Him. The juice and the wafer do nothing. It's juice and a wafer. It's who they represent. So today, I, I don't know the pain of your life. I don't know the suffering you're going through, but I know He does. If you choose to partake of these elements, begin to just roll that thing onto Him. Begin to let His pain bring you peace. His hurt bring you hope. His suffering bring you strength. Make it about Him. Not about us or the problem. Who God says He is. The servers would come to take their places to serve, please. Father God, I believe you're at work. I believe you're at work in a very strong way in some hearts and lives here today. I invite your spirit to continue to move. I, I ask you to help us to open all our hearts to you. That you could do what needs to be done in these next few moments. And I pray whatever pain or hurt or sorrow or grief that those that are walking through here today is going to begin to get replaced and healed and going to begin to get dealt with, Father, by your amazing grace and love and peace that only comes in a broken, busted, resurrected Jesus. Your will be done in the next few moments for your praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Please hold the elements to everyone who is served and communities to open to every born-again believer. I'm going to ask you to Bow your head and close your eyes if you would while you're holding the elements. And if you're comfortable with this, if you're not, that's okay. But I invite you just to lift the elements, just both hands up to Him. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. Simply saying, I, I identify with you as my Savior. I identify with you as my Lord. I identify with you in my pain, but I identify with you in my pleasure to overcome pain because of who you are and what you've done. 
And in this offering of this moment, just present whatever the need, whatever the hurt, the sorrow, pain, the grief. And let this risen Lord, this eternal King, this forever shepherd, this comforter, the consolation of Israel, the light of revelation to the Gentiles, let Him just begin to minister to your heart and to your soul. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body. Let's eat the bread. Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink all of it. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's partake of the cup. He said, I will not drink this again with you until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Touch hearts, touch families, touch circumstances and situations. Give hope, give peace, give forgiveness, give renewal. Whatever, whatever the pain, whatever the brokenness, whatever the hurt, you provide now. That we can truly know the pleasure of celebration, even in the midst of pain. Thank you. Thank you that one day all pain will be eradicated. One day all sorrow and sickness and disease and suffering will be gone. And you will establish your kingdom upon this earth. Righteousness, joy, and peace will rule and reign. And for every follower of Christ God, we know we will be with you. We look forward to that day. In that we find pleasure of the pain of this world. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Merry Christmas.